Alright, and here we go on another episode of the In-Between Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your co-host, Seth Woolcock, joined by my co-host, my bro Chacho, my amigo, my brother from another mother, Thomas Kuda. What's up, Tom? Oh, you know, just chilling, working most of the day, hustling on the side. How about you? Hey, same here, man. Uh, Minus the work part, still living that hashtag furlough life. (laughs) <laughs> got the Scott Fishbowl happening this week, so some high-stress times. So really looking forward to kind of kicking it back with you and chatting, getting caught up on life, you know, the fantasy football landscape a little bit. Yeah, me too. This is going to be a, a great podcast. I'm excited for this. Yeah, as always, uh, we're here. We're going to break it down in a couple different segments. We're going to talk about the latest news. Cam Newton signed. Debo Samuel's injured. A lot's happened since our last time on the pod, so we're going to get you caught up with that. We got some we got some in the scope for you. We're going to give you a little weekly advice, some good news to round it out. Uh, and just one more reminder, you can find the show, the site, on Twitter at IBT underscore media. You can find myself on the bird as well, at between underscore Seth FF. And you can find Thomas, young Thomas over there, at Thomas Kuda on Twitter. And you can subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review. Uh, all the feedback we've gotten so far has been amazing. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Blueberry, and Deezer. Uh, the site's been live for a few weeks now. We've got a couple new columns out for you to check out. Start, sit, and the right combinations. That's the story, the fantasy stoner. Uh, one of my favorite columns I've ever had the pleasure of writing. And then start sit in the Scott Fishbowl, a little insight on what the Scott Fishbowl means to myself and some other analysts and fans competing and some targets for you to watch out for if you're still drafting. So, I don't know. It's been it's been a crazy couple of weeks, Tom. I mean, it's almost been, we're rolling up, up on about a month since our launch and things have gone, I mean, better than we could have expected, I think. I think so too. I mean, this has been... You know, we've definitely started to get a lot of attention a lot quicker than I figured, you know. Most of the time, I feel like you start something, you have to just stick with it for six months, a year before anything really starts to take. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, again, we appreciate all the support, all the feedback we've gotten on all the content so far. And I really think, though, this comes back to, uh, again, we want to put out quality content and we strive to be different than the normal fantasy football podcast out there. We're going to give you your fantasy football advice that you need, that you want. And we're also going to kind of give you that life advice, you know, that that dad-like role. We're going to play that, but we're going to be more that, like, chill friend of your dad's who shows up on the weekend, drinks some bush lights till 2 a.m. with you, and then hits the road. How about it? Sounds great to me. <laughs> Sounds like a good weekend. <laughs> All right, let's jump into some headline hijinks. A lot to talk about. <laughs> Cam Newton signs a one-year deal with the New England Patriots. Patriots PR team covers up Spygate Part 2 with a Cam Newton signing. Newton in a new town. Cam signs a one-year prove-it deal with the Patriots. All right, Tom, so let's break this down. Where do you think uh, Where do you think you're putting Cam Newton in your rankings here and how do you think this affects the other players in that Patriots offense? I don't know. It really does depend for me. If he can get in here and learn the system well, which we all know the Patriots run a pretty complex system and right. Belichick doesn't really leave room for mistakes. So if he's unfocused and sloppy, I could see him either losing the job or playing like well outside of the top 15. Um, but if he comes in, puts in the work, learns the system. I mean, we all know Cam Newton never has been the world's most accurate quarterback. He's always been a run-first guy. Um, I think, you know, was it last year? The last few years he's played, it's been like 59% completion in 2017. 2018 was better, 67. Um, 2016 was at 52. It's right. not great. But the Patriots also played around Tom Brady having to throw shorter passes. And 
in that case, I think that could benefit Cam Newton a lot, where they run first and dump off a lot of short passes. I think that if he could get into that part of the playbook, really learn that well. Um, so I think for me, it kind of averages out to where I'm going to take him maybe just on the bubble of like the 13 to 16 range. Absolutely. He's outside of people, my main considerations, but you know, I'll let other people take him over better quarterbacks if they're so inclined. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, this kind of, this kind of is, is more significant in those super flex leagues uh, rather than a one QB league. You know, while I do, again, I think I have him somewhere in that top 15 to top 15 to 18 type range. Uh, we've seen him finish, you know, strongly before in, in, in all the seasons he's played a full season. There have been five of them. He f- has finished in the top five, uh, finishing his QB three, four, three, one, and two. Uh, but he's also had three seasons, not counting last season, where he played less than 16 games and finished somewhere in that QB 12 to QB 17 range. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. I personally still think I would take some of those guys. Uh, like I, I like the upside of Joe Burrow more, I think. I still think I like the upside of, I don't know, someone who's falling in drafts, like a Josh Allen maybe more. I think I like all those guys significantly more than Cam. But again, if I, you know, right now in the Scott Fishbowl, if he's sitting there you know, in a couple rounds from now and I could use a third QB, I think Cam would be an excellent choice, especially with that rushing upside. And I think... He's going to have a lot of dink and dunk passes with the Patriots because they won't have time to really sit down and learn a hefty playbook, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, honestly, if you really want to get right to it, I I would almost rather have Bridgewater than I would him. Okay, okay. I mean, mean, garbage time for me, for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's true. But it's, I don't know, for, for me, it's like, I don't know. It's it's hard because when people who are runners first start to slow down a bit, like I just don't I don't trust his ability to stay healthy, and I don't right. trust his ability to put up. He's losing a lot of his floor if he loses a lot of his running. Yeah, and where do you see this affecting those other pieces in New England? Uh, personally, I think Edelman and Nikhil Harry both get a slight bump. I think just playing with a veteran guy like Cam Newton should help them. Uh, I'm putting Sony Michelle down a couple spots just because I think Cam can steal some of the red zone work that is really only reason Sony Michelle was viable in the first place. I like a guy like Damian Harris more. I'll talk later about him in the show. But that's kind of how I see the target shaping up. Not really interested in any of the tight ends. What do you think, Tom? Um, I definitely agree with you on the wide receiver front. I think there's no way they don't get a bump with Newton instead of Stidham. Even, you know, like I said, I'm not expecting, you know, Cam to go out there and uncork a 60-plus yard deep ball every few plays. But we saw how much success they had with again like that short pass plays and everything i mean edelman got a lot of work in that offense last year so i definitely think him and and kill harry take a big bump uh this definitely just confirms my already pretty solid conviction that i want nothing to do with the patriots backfield in any way okay you know because like you said even though they probably won't let cam run a ton he will eat up some goal line work regardless of what belichick tells him and uh i i was already fading sony michelle really heavily anyway so i just feel like they're i I don't know damian harris would be interesting but we'll talk about that later yeah we'll jump into it we'll move forward here with our next headline let's take a look debo samuel suffers a broken foot practicing debo fractures foot and dreams i'm not mad i'm just disappointed I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. So, Tom, uh, you know, Debo has suffered a broken foot when practicing. Right now, it's debatable when he'll return. Uh, some some people are saying he'll return. Niners Nation a couple weeks ago put out a piece saying he'll be back for week one. How does Debo fall in your rankings, and who are the beneficiaries, if any, in the San Francisco offense? So for me, uh, Debo was somebody who I I liked 
he, he, you know, I would think about throwing him in trades or maybe going and getting him if I could get him cheap and just play the upside. I think even if his broken foot, like even though the surgery went well and he'll be, he should be back on the field in time for the season. I think this did kind of fade my desire to go and acquire stock in him, you know, especially in like dynasty and stuff. Like I, I think for me for now, um, I just want to kind of sit back and see how the season goes and um, how things work out for him. Honestly, I've kind of been disappointed in the whole receiving core for San Francisco. So right. I'm not really sure where I lean on somebody to take over for him. Honestly, I would just think that maybe Kittle gets more work somehow, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I'm right there with you on that train. I mean, really, these guys are all dart throws after Debo. Uh, For me, he was a top 20 guy coming into this season. I loved his upside. You know, I thought he was going to be a breakout star this year. This definitely knocks him outside my top 30. Uh, You know, he's had a huge injury history before, and I think something because, you know, he got banged up, was in and out of a couple games last season, but he really was tough last season. And but going back to his college and high school days, I mean, there are a lot of injuries on that list when you look it up. So not huge on that. And again, I think it's going to depend how risky you get early in your drafts. But if he's falling in the 10th round, I might take him. But yeah, I'm not really interested too much in any of these guys, the Brandon Ayukes of the world, the why I like Kendrick Bourne as a player and Jalen Hurts. I just, I, I mean, they're all dart throws at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I was like, I don't know. I, I I think, you know, I would have said Kendrick Bourne possibly, but I feel like the more I've looked into his stats and stuff, I think he's just a good football player and not necessarily a great fantasy player. So I feel like it's not going to translate well, and I would definitely recommend just avoiding the whole lot for this year. Yeah, there are higher upside receivers elsewhere later in the draft, I think. Agreed. So, all right, well, and then, uh, yeah, let's check out our next headline. Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs agree on a 10-year, $500 million contract extension. Mahomes securing the bag and his place on the Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks. Mahomes is king. The new dynasty begins. All right. So, Tom, uh, you know, it's not super fantasy relevant, but yesterday when we were planning out the show, the news of Patrick Mahomes, he bags this 10-year deal over $400 million worth of money for him. And, you know, we've never seen a deal like this in football. How do you think it translates into fantasy, if at all? And are you drafting Mahomes in a, in a 1QB league this year? I don't know. It's hard not to follow the money. I mean, this is such a heavy commitment, you know, just on a note in dynasty leagues, like I will pay up for him. I'll take him everywhere. Yeah. You know, like a 10 year commitment out of a team. And you I mean, we already knew Mahomes is good, but like, this is a, a great deal. You know, mm-hmm. this just locks it all in, seals it moving forward. And in a dynasty, um, Maybe a keeper, probably not, but like I, I will definitely pay up for him, no problem. In redraft, though, it really goes against my strategy. I, I really don't like to draft a quarterback early. You know, if he makes it past, like right now he's going in the third round. Um, so if he falls around fourth or fifth, maybe I'll probably look at taking him. But to me, it's all a game of points. And like right now his projection is for something like, well, like average projections I'm seeing are like 330 some odd points. Last year he only scored 228, which is still a lot. But that considering he was injured too. Yeah, he was injured for a little bit, but who knows? You know that could happen again. And the quarterback position is way less scarce. You know, if you play in a 12 team league, less than fewer than half of the starters that right. are gone in a one QB league. So I kind of look at it like. For me, the way the point drops and the tier drops for other positions work, I specifically look at running back and tight end. Like, um, just to crack a few numbers for you, from the projections from this year's scoring, Lamar Jackson is projected as like 
usually the top just for the sake of right. how much running points he adds. But the drop between him and the number 12 quarterback, who's Aaron Rodgers, is 102 points over the course of a season. For running backs from Christian McCaffrey to number 12, who's Miles Sanders, is 130 points. And from Travis Kelsey to John U. Smith is 110 points. So for both categories, your drop is, you know, somewhat significant or just even a few points. But this is this game is all about who scores the most points. So I definitely want the averages to be in my favor. So like if you look at Mahomes right now, Kittle's getting drafted a spot ahead of him, which I would definitely want Kittle over Mahomes if that's what right. I'm looking at. And right behind him go Mike Evans, Kenny Galladay, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Allen Robinson, DJ Moore, Adam Thielen, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Zach Ertz, all of whom I would take before him. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. And especially you mentioned, wow, those point totals, those drop-offs from 1 to 12 are, are pretty, you know, pretty stat across the board. You cannot get a RB12. You can't get the RB12 probably outside of the first two rounds. And you can get the quarterback 11 or 12, maybe in the, you know, 10th to 15th round. Like it's really a crap, it's a crab shoot there. Most of those top RBs are going to be drafted in those first couple rounds. I mean, look at Lamar Jackson last year and Patrick Mahomes the year before. Those guys were both drafted outside the consensus top 12. So I think i I rather play that upside game and try to find someone later in the draft. I think it might be Joe Burrow this year. Other people have other takes. I mean, I don't know. I just I agree with you there. I think only the only place in redraft I'm taking Patrick Mahomes and feel comfortable is if maybe he falls and maybe I'm on that, you know, that turn I had the first pick. Maybe I'm sitting on that four or five turn and he somehow fell back to me there. And if I'm sitting there, I like my team as it is. I don't really like the options there to take two of them. I'd get I'd grab Patrick Mahomes, but you're not going to get him for that price in 95% of leagues. So I'm probably out on him as well in redraft. Superflex Dynasty, I'm all in as everyone is. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. I mean, it is hard not to follow the money, though. Right. Like, at the very least, you know, like, you know he's got that payday. He's going to go play his heart out. So it's it's definitely, you know. And then, again, I always kind of fall back on the thing, too. If you're, like, a Chiefs fan and having Pat Mahomes is going to make your year, like, the best year, just draft him. You know, don't – I've always been – I've always thought that sometimes it's okay to throw good advice a little bit to the side and just take a player that is going to make your team like perfect for you. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I think that's some very sound advice. All right. Um, I think that wraps that one up and I think we got one more headline to go. Yeah. Let's check it out. Several NFL players beginning to test positive for coronavirus, including Ezekiel Elliott. Zeke gets the virus. Athletes are very bad at quarantining. In the words of the great Tony Romo, here we go, Jim. All right, Tom, so let's break this down a little bit. Uh, Came out a couple weeks ago that several NFL players have begun testing for COVID-19, and they have tested positive, including Ezekiel Elliott. This now, at this point, really isn't just an NFL thing. This is an MLB and NBA thing. NASCAR thing, pretty much an entire sports world thing, but we know players like Zeke have the virus. Uh, if you're sitting there as, I know you're a commissioner in a couple leagues, Tom, are you making any contingency plans yet? And a separate question, does this kind of raise the value of those handcuffed players a little bit more? Um, so for me, I'm going to tackle this in two parts. First, as like the commissioner portion, um, I know personally, like I'm not going to collect any like league dues or anything like that until I know for sure there's actually going to be a season. Um, you know, I just want to make sure that it's going to be the kind of thing where everyone still gets a chance to have fun. I, don't, I just don't want to go through the hassle of taking everybody's money and you know getting everything set up and then having the season get flushed out. So. I think for now, especially in like dynasty leagues, I'm just going to chill and sit tight, see what happens. Now, as far as like a fantasy, like manager perspective, where I'm looking like if I'm starting doing drafts and like dynasty and stuff, um, I don't think I'm too worried about it right now. Um, I mean, I know cases are spiking. Like you know, as far as real world is concerned, obviously I'm very concerned about the pandemic. Absolutely. But 
when it comes to the to the fantasy portion, I think I'm gonna take it easy. Um, I'm not gonna go nuts and like draft a ton of extra people because to me, I think you know if you have Zeke for instance, and then you try to draft a handcuff for him, if he gets coronavirus and nobody's playing, I don't think that they're gonna just like have all the teammates he's been practicing with and in close contact with for the last week go ahead and play a game of football. So I don't really know how useful it would be. Yeah, I don't want to be that fantasy doomsday guy, like locked down in the bunker with all my freaking Tevin Coleman's and Justin Jackson's and Boston Scott's of the world holding on to those guys like it's freaking crack. Yeah, if anything, I would be more inclined to make sure that I only have one player from each team. Like I, if one team gets wiped, I don't want multiple players from my team gone because of it. That's a good point. That's a good point. I didn't even think about this. Yeah, yeah, that may be my one strategy. Just make sure I don't double up on any teams. Hey, I'm all about those stacks, so that'd be a tough one for me, but I definitely get where you're coming from on that. Uh, For me as a commissioner, I think it's just a little bit too early to get ourselves worked up up about this. I mean, like you said, in real life, I am concerned on being, you know, taking the precautions that, you know, we have been recommended to us, so we're going to continue to do that. But as far as fantasy football goes... Like you said, we're here to have fun, so I'm not going to get too worked up about it. I'm going to wait for these platforms like the ESPNs, the Sleepers, uh, the My Fantasy Leagues. I'm going to wait for them to kind of make the first move on this. And if they have some type of interesting idea uh, that they're going to offer for leagues, maybe put it out there in a poll. You know, maybe shoot a message out to your league mates, your members, uh, asking them their thoughts on it. Because I guarantee that they will make probably one or two optional things you can do uh personally maybe i add an ir slot or two i know a lot of traditional redrafts don't do ir slots so maybe an ir slot or two maybe yeah i think that'd be a good idea i think uh, an ir slot or two here and there in leagues that don't usually have them or adding an extra would be a great idea because you definitely you know like you said it's especially in the middle of like the real life stress of this thing you really just want fantasy to take its spot as a stress reliever more than anything. So if there's little stuff you can do to make it all the more livable, I don't see why you wouldn't take those steps. Certainly, certainly. Yeah, one idea I kind of want to throw out to our listeners a little bit was one that the Fantasy Stoner hit me with uh, when I was writing that column a couple weeks ago is uh, he had come up with the idea, why not draft entire team's quarterbacks? I think it's pretty interesting. Is it plausible? I'm not sure. Uh, I just think he, you know, he had thrown out. Look at the Saints quarterbacks. I think it would, you know, it'd be interesting because obviously the Saints who have uh, Taysom Hill who's getting snaps elsewhere on the field, and you have a great backup quarterback in Jameis Winston. Obviously, like Drew Brees would kind of get a bump in a lot of leagues. So I don't know. I thought it was a cool idea. Just want to throw that out there a little bit. I mean, I will say one thing, too, though. I know this is literally going to be completely contradictory to my earlier statement, but we don't know how they're going to set teams up for practices and stuff. True. If they did decide closer to the season to say, like, have Jameis Winston never be anywhere near Drew Brees and not practice with the same players, like if they split the different training teams up, do you know what I mean? And kept them separate so they'd have a team to field, that actually could be a really good idea. I just don't know how they're going to do that kind of stuff. So that would be something to keep an eye on is see, is see if you see teams that are sequestering like their starting and backup quarterbacks from one another so they could have one if one of them gets sick. Yeah, I mean, this is the world we live in. This is 2020. We're going to figure it out as we go. We might be flying by the seat of our pants, but uh, we'll be here along for the ride. So can't be too bad. Hopefully not. But yeah, we'll definitely keep keep rolling with the punches as they come. See what happens. All right. Let's continue some more fantasy discussion with our next segment in the scope. I have the targets in my sights. Requesting permission to engage. In the scope. So today on In the Scope, uh, we're going to be looking at some night vision targets. These are players that generally during the day you're not going to think too much about these are those really deep players that you wouldn't really take in a traditional redraft ppr league but maybe you're thinking about taking uh, a shot on them 
in some of these other formats, the tight end premium leagues, the super flex leagues, uh, or just a very deep league, 12 teaming up, 14, 16. I mean, it gets scarce pretty quickly. So we're going to throw out these night vision targets, throw on those night vision goggles, and see what happens. Sounds good. These are always the kind that I enjoy because I think, you know, my first few years in, everybody has an opinion on the top players. But when you get down to those late rounds of the draft, like you said, especially in bigger leagues or um, leagues with deep benches, sometimes it's you just feel like you're rolling a dice in a crapshoot. You have no idea who you're picking and, you know, you just kind of <laughs> are lost a little. So it's always I feel like it's always nice to throw these um, kind of, this kind of advice out every now and again. Absolutely, absolutely, Tom. Why don't you uh, Why don't you get us started here? Who's your first night vision target of the twenty twenty fantasy football season? All right, for me, um, I wanted to pick a quarterback at least for one of the two players because I think that superflex is becoming a very very hot thing to do, and I think it's a great thing or two quarterback leagues. Yeah. Um, because you know it actually does bring quarterbacks to a level of value that's more like close it's closer to what their real life value to Mm -hmm. a team is Mm -hmm. so for me um i think i i very personally love gardner Minshew. the jaguars quarterback the ladies want to see that sack gardner Minshew. i'll share some stats with you about last season just because i feel like he really flew under the radar people weren't paying a lot of attention to him he's kind of a meme for a while but in 71.4 percent of his games he was above 15.2 15.2 points which placed him inside the top 18 you know what i mean like it was a really yeah. solid base it put him in a margin that only 11 other quarterbacks matched his consistency percentage so that you know it definitely is a number where you can see that from week to week he was for sure at least to not screw you over which is really good you know if you're going to be digging deep in a super flex league um, he missed four games last year, but he still had the fifth most rushing yards. This year, his schedule in the early season is very appealing. And he is the kind of person that, for someone like me who likes to draft late, I do kind of carry that over into my super flex philosophy. Like, yeah, I'll pay up in the beginning for my main quarterback. When it comes to picking a secondary one, if I can lock down you know, more depth elsewhere and push off a few rounds and still scoop up like a Gardner Minshew in this case, that's the kind of thing that I'm looking to do. Um, So I just think that when he has, you know, fifth most rushing yards, he provides a really high level of consistency in his point scoring. Personally, I think he's going to take at least a small step forward this year and will provide at least that baseline of appeal and consistency. He certainly, one thing is for sure, he's going to be playing from behind a lot. Jacksonville's defense is in question. So, yeah, I, I think Gardner Minshew, I think he's going to be an interesting option. I'm definitely going to keep him in my scope as I get farther into the Scott Fishbowl draft. Thanks for that, Tom. Yeah, of course. And uh, let's see, who do you have for us today? All right, so I'll keep the trend of quarterbacks rolling. I'm going to target in my scope Dwayne Haskins. Uh, I know this is probably somewhat of a hot take, but I think Dwayne Haskins in a super flex league specifically, and maybe in some of those deeper uh, two QB you know deep leagues, I, I'm thinking on queuing in on Dwayne Haskins this season. I get that the Redskins were a mess last year. Uh, you know, started own five, eventually fired Jake Gruden. Uh, but now Ron Rivera is there, and Ron Rivera, we have seen for years now, he is a very competent head coach. He actually was able to get a formidable 62% completion rate from Kyle Allen last season, out of all people, Kyle Allen. And uh, now I actually think the, the Redskins have, well, we're not sure if they'll be called the Redskins, hopefully not by then, but uh, I actually think that Washington has some, some pretty interesting receivers this season, Terry McLaurin. Kelvin Harmon on the outside. Uh, you got they just drafted Gandy Golden, uh, and then I think on the inside lining up in the slot, and he's actually kind of a night vision target for myself as well as Steven Sims Jr. Uh, and I get that it wasn't always pretty for Washington last season, but I do think that 
Haskins showed something last year. He showed some maturity. Uh, I've heard a lot of good things now about him that he has kind of showed that maturity, even though it was in question when they first drafted him. So, like last, I looked back at some film when I was, you know, writing up a little bit about Haskins, and I actually watched the uh, the full game of Washington versus Detroit Week 12 last season. And it wasn't always pretty for Haskins, but he did show some, you know, when he was able to hang there in the pocket, he was able to hang in and you know, keep his eyes downfield, keep moving, but, you know, hit Terry McLaurin deep, hit Steven Sims deep. I really like that. I think his rushing floor is higher than people think. And, I mean, no one's going to be targeting him. So I think he's, for me, he's going to be trying to be one of my late round steals, especially here in these super flex leagues. Um, I... Honestly, I don't know what to think about Dwayne Haskins, to tell you the truth. Yeah. I liked him a lot coming out of college. Right. Um, obviously, the Redskins, well, Washington, is a total mess, like you said. You know, I mean, Ron Rivera's there now, which does give me a lot of hope for them improving in the future. I think that Dwayne Haskins has the intangibles. Like, sure, he's not going to be the most mobile quarterback that's ever lived. That's fine. You don't need to be, you know. He doesn't, he doesn't need that to be good. I, I think that he does have those intangibles. I think the only big hesitation for me is that it's it's Ron Rivera's first year. True. Here. And now, again, he is a very veteran coach, and he could really put this together quickly and have everything running smoothly. I think I totally agree with you on everything, except that maybe I would say this next year. Maybe this would be my take once we see – how things go a little bit, but I, I definitely can't disagree with it. Like in the sense of Dwayne Haskins, I think will develop really well. I just don't know if this year's the year. No, totally, totally understandable. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what Haskins does here in his sophomore year. And kind of unlike you, I was not really a fan of Haskins at all coming into the league. I didn't really like most of his college film, but like I said, looking back at some of the trends, some of the film from last season, I've seen worse. I've seen worse NFL quarterbacks. So I don't know. We'll see what happens there. Tom, you got another target for us? I do. I'm actually kind of kind of double back around from a little bit earlier, and I wanted to talk about and kill Harry. Um, I mean, it's been it was quite a fall from his hype coming into the season. I mean, he was a first round pick. Um, he got injured. He missed most of the season. He was not, you know, electric playmaker blowing up the field when he did get on the field. I feel like he's just been faded so far, so fast, and now no one really wants to talk to him. You know, he lost Tom Brady. Like, nothing was looking like it was going the right way except for his health right now. Right. That being said, I think that a lot of the reasons that I was so high on him last season and – you know, coming into this year, I think he's going to pay off well, especially now the Cam Newton news came out. He, you know, like I said, again, he was a first round pick. So obviously the Patriots want to work him into their system. They're planning on finding a long term high production player because Patriots don't. I mean, how often do they draft, you know, a wide receiver skill position or like a running back in the first round? They usually get these people in trades. Right. Um one stat I would like to say from his from last year, he has a 4.3% drop rate, which is incredibly low. And it's definitely the kind of thing where, you know, we all know Belichick does not tolerate mistakes. So having a player who is incredibly, he was on the younger side of his draft class for sure. And someone who shows he's got to work on his footwork, which I have heard, I forget who he's training with. But he is training with someone who is well-known for helping wide receivers take big steps in their development of footwork. Um, he's been working on his route running. And having that low of a drop rate, I think, is something that shows a level of discipline that Belichick will have a lot of respect for. He's really great after the catch. So even if they work him you know, uh, in under routes and like quick little slants and stuff where Newton puts the ball in his hand, he can make big plays out of that kind of stuff. And... I just have a lot of confidence in his ability to take a step forward this year. Right. Um, all all that said, it's definitely the kind of thing where I'm drafting him way late, going to let him sit for a while, and then take him as like a wide receiver three, 
um, and just hope that he develops into a wide receiver two level by the end of the season. No, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. He's actually someone I have been targeting later in drafts for similar reasons. I mean, we've seen Cam Newton work with these big, big targets. I mean, Kelvin Benjamin, uh, Devin Funches, he turned kind of these guys who, I don't know, weren't, weren't super high-profile guys coming in. He turned them into household names for a couple of seasons. So, yeah, I can get on Nikhil Harry. I think there are worse plays out there. I mean, yes, I think he is still probably third in that rotation, but... I mean, he's probably number two on the outside, if not number one at this point. I mean, we'll see how much Mosinu has left in the tank. But, yeah, Nikhil Harry, I mean, he's the cheapest second-year wide receiver with some high upside that you're going to get. So he is one of those. He fits that bill of a night vision target. I like that, Tom. Thanks. appreciate that. All right, and then I believe you're going to hit me with another Patriots player today. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. So we're going to stick in New England here. I want to talk about Damian Harris. So he's a second-year player out of Alabama. You know, he was kind of the 1B to Josh Jacobs for a couple seasons there. So he wasn't super high profile coming into last year. But right now, I think as it stands, Damian Harris has one of the highest odds other than all these other backup RBs to get a slew of carries each week and potentially become the starter. I think Rex Burkhead might be getting cut here soon. Uh, Heard that from a couple different places. Now Cam Newton's on the roster. They have Brian Hoyer. They're carrying three quarterbacks. They normally don't do that when they had Tom Brady. So I think that may uh, lead Rex Burkhead. See you later. So if if that happens, that's even a better sign for Damian Harris. But right now, like, I don't think it's going out on a limb to say Sony Michelle is not is not that good. I th- I think his best days were in college and maybe the Patriots whiffed on this one a little bit. I honestly, as far as like the Sonny Michelle evaluation is concerned, I totally agree. Like those knee injuries are pesky. They're hard to come back from. He's, I, I feel like the Sonny Michelle I watched play football last year versus the Sonny Michelle we saw, you know, run down a Super Bowl, two completely different players. And the national championship I, game the year before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just feel like he is I don't know. I just those injuries, man, they really start to pile up on you. And I could totally see a world where, like you said, Burkhead's a little gassed, he's kinda old. I wouldn't be surprised if he were on the bubble or got cut. Um and Damian Harris really could end up in a spot where he gets a lot of runtime. I mean you know, we're, we're in the, the night vision targets right now. So, you know, obviously you know, we're with the understanding that we're not drafting him to be, you know, your RB2 or anything. <laughs> but he he's somebody where if Sonny Michelle did run out and get injured in like week two or three and Damian Harris takes up that first, second down role, he could end up, you know, cranking out points of an RB2 every single week for the rest of the season. He, like he is definitely, he's the definition of the kind of player that you want to draft and sit on your bench and just see what happens. You know, if in four or five weeks, Sonny Michelle looks healthy and he's running strong, you can look at cutting him and moving on. Right. Um, the only thing I'll say to cool my own position there, just for the sake of um, my own kind of consistency is I've always stayed away from the Patriots backfield. But I think in this case, the opportunity is just ripe enough that late on i could totally agree with you on just taking him and seeing what happens. Yeah, totally with you right there, Tom. It's been two seasons now, 200-plus carries for Sony Michelle, and he's never eclipsed that century mark. So I think that speaks something to him and how he's not that good maybe, and maybe he's just running behind a good line uh, at Georgia and maybe you know that first year in New England when they went on that run with him and going the playoffs eventually to a Super Bowl championship. I think... Maybe that, again, he can run behind a really good offensive line, but New England doesn't have that anymore. I think Harris fits the the more profile of a back that Cam Newton can play with. He can catch the ball a little more. He's kind of like that Jonathan Stewart. He's not going to blow you away in speed. And he's that 5'11", 215, 220 type of guy. But I don't know. I think he's, again, we're night vision targets. He's worth that deep shot for me. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. He definitely is worth taking a look at on a deep shot. And all right, Tom, let's move it to my favorite part of the show, some weekly advice. 
Weekly. Sounds good. What do you what uh, what advice you serving up for us this week? All right, so we're gonna stick with the non fantasy aspect of things. Uh, I want to talk about something my man Wiz Khalifa threw out there a couple years ago in one of his songs, "Happy Hustling." So happy hustling is you know Tom, you and I are these guys. We don't do this full time. I am in the media industry full time. Unfortunately, fantasy football is not something I get paid to write about. So. Uh, happy hustling is, you know, while we're on these side hustles and while you're just hustling throughout life, cause life's a damn hustle, man. It really is. And especially if you want to, if you want to get somewhere, if you want to define the expectations, uh, especially kind of where we came from in the middle of nowhere, uh, rural Pennsylvania, you know, you got to have this time of hustling, but the key is the key difference between a lot of people I think is they're not happy when they're hustling. A lot of people see productivity and that time when they need to be busy and productive as a time of strictly work and not fun. For me, when I'm writing, when we're doing this podcast, when I'm editing this podcast, it's a happy hustle, man. I'm just enjoying the ride. I'm happy to be here where, you know, where everything leads and eventually it will pay off. I mean, I'm already I feel like both of us, Tom, we're already starting to be exposed to this crazy world a year and a half ago we didn't even know existed where there's thousands of other people who have these same interests as us and I even got a message I wasn't really going to share this but I even got this message last week uh, after I wrote a column from Scott Fish who you know Tom Scott Fish is a guy who we've been looking up to I at least have for for years you know yeah I mean he's an absolute legend yeah, I mean he he's the he is he's as OG as it gets in fantasy football, man. And just just for him to even message me and said he, one not even that he just read my column, but B that he enjoyed my column. I mean that that speaks volumes to me. And I just think most people are just grinding out these fantasy football articles because they're grinding. But like to us, man, it's a happy hustle. So that's what I would just say to all, to all our listeners is while you're out there hustling, whatever it is, if it's writing, if it's podcasting. If it's making tables, if you know mowing lawns, whatever your hustle is, man, be happy doing it and just enjoy the ride. Yeah, that's some really great advice. I mean, I know today, for instance, like work's always stressful and like it kind of sucks. But you know, toward like the tail end of my shift, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna get to go. You know, we're doing the podcast today, so who cares what happened at work? You know, I'm gonna have a blast when I get out of here and get home and get a chance to sit down and record this thing. So it, it definitely is something where, yeah, sure. I'm coming home and doing more work, but this is work that I enjoy. You right. know, this is something that's fun for me. So yeah, that's really great advice. What do you got for us, Tom? Um, for me, um, I think I've definitely been thinking a lot about knowing your limits as a person and knowing how to work within them, like knowing what your best mm-hmm you know, methods for getting things done are, cause this has definitely been a problem I've had for a long time. Like, like, you know, talking about the happy hustle thing, like there's lots of stuff that I really enjoy doing. Um, I have, you know, thousand to one different interests and there's only so much time. Yeah. So you kind of have to figure out what interests rise to the top, which ones are the kind of ones that you really want to put your focus into and then figure out where your limits are because I would always get really hot, excited, like get into something, way overcommit to it. And then when, you know, three or four different commitments that I've made all hit a wall at the same time, it leaves a lot of people disappointed. Kind of looks like you don't really know what you're doing, makes you seem unprofessional. And even in the side hustle, like you don't want to come across that way because it's never what you mean. It's just a lot of passion and energy and you're like, yeah, I can handle anything. I know in my case, <laughs> I, it's taken a lot for me to learn to like slow down, figure out what actually reasonably fits in my time, and then work within that limit. Like for this, for instance, I'm going to do the Dynasty column, record the podcast with you, and then I'm going to do one other column, which I'm going to have my first one done soon and up by this weekend. Check um, it out. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, everybody. have it. I have not named it yet. I still got to figure that out, but I'm going to finish writing it and then we'll get the name done. But anyway, but that's the thing for me is I've kind of realized I know when we first started, I told you I wanted to do two a month, one dynasty, one of the other column. Uh, And then I 
that's a good level of commitment for me, but I didn't follow through on the working within part and set myself a guideline, you know, because you kind of have to make stuff fit into your schedule. You can always say, oh, there's not enough time in the day, but I kind of come to realize that's a BS statement because you'll find time for the stuff you really want to fit in there. So sometimes in your brain, it's a good to just elevate something that you enjoy doing. Like writing is something that I'll just be doing random stuff at work and I'll be thinking of column ideas. Right. So I'll write it down and then sometimes I just don't come back to it because I didn't work in time to, mm-hmm. you know, fix it and do it. So now what I've done is every two weeks I'm going to turn in an article, a column. I'll make sure that it sits at the top of my brain. It's definitely, you know, like I said, a, a passion that I want to do. I've set myself a good limit and now I want to make sure that I work within that limit to accomplish something. And I feel like a lot of people struggle with that same thing where it's either over committing or once you do commit, the follow through is kind of hard to get done. Yeah, certainly. I mean, this is something even, you know, with within my own life I've struggled with. I mean, I think there's not a person out there who has not had to learn this lesson. I think it's a valuable lesson. And like you said, Tom, it's about finding those things that you're so passionate about that while you're doing something else, you're thinking about, you know, you're at work, you're thinking about column ideas. I mean, that's that's what it's all about, man. And uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. Thanks, man. All right. What fantasy football related advice do you have for us this week? Yeah, so mine's going to be, uh, again, I'm, I'm tailoring back here to the Scott Fishbowl. It's, it's been on my mind a lot these last couple of nights. Uh, my girlfriend can attest to that. She's been. Listen, learned... I don't blame you, man. <laughs> yeah, she's been she's been learned a lot about fantasy football the last couple of days. I've been, you know, kind of trying to get her into it a little bit and talking about her with it. But yeah, so my advice is go into your draft with multiple strategies. I think it's something I always used to get caught up to, uh, especially when I was only kind of maybe doing one or two leagues a year. Is I'd go in with one strategy. Okay, if I'm sitting at the turn, I'm going. No matter who the RBs are, I'm going RB, RB. Or, you know, at that 3-4 turn, um, I have to grab a tight end or, you know, you know, stuff like that. And I think what it is, you need to go into a draft with multiple strategies. Uh, it makes drafting so much more fun. For instance, I'm sitting there in the second round and I knew I was kind of targeting a stud RB early into the Scott Fishbowl. The second round came around and... Uh, I had thought, okay, if one of my top five QBs are there, I'll grab one of those most likely. But if not, I'm probably going to grab another another solid RB. Uh, Kyler Murray started to slide back quite a bit, and so did Russell Wilson. So I was really, really getting excited. Those two picks before me, Kyler was there, Russell was there. Uh, they both got sniped one-two right in front of me. And Deshaun Watson sitting there. Uh, while I think Deshaun Watson's a great quarterback, I'd love to have him in most super flex formats. Uh, the Scott Fishbowl is a lot more about efficiency, and I just wasn't sure. I just wasn't sure Deshaun Watson is going to have the type of year this season, as far as efficiency wise, that he had in years past when he had reliable targets like DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, he has talented guys on that roster, but they also are you know as durable as a sack of paper clips. And I just, I don't know. So for me, it was going in there with multiple strategies, having contingency plans within your draft. And it just makes it more fun because then you don't get as pissed off and as on tilt when, you, when you're sitting there and your guy gets sniped before you. So yeah, have multiple strategies going in your draft. I think that's great advice. Uh, you know, it's definitely great to, to make sure that you have a bunch of different things to fall back on in case everything goes to crap right before your eyes (laughs) (laughs) and it happens it happens more than you want to you want to admit it (laughs) absolutely all right tom what do you got for your last piece of advice for us this week all right for me um i think this is definitely something i try to do a lot in the off season before we start you know really digging into players and everything but take some time and just go through the head coaching changes. If you really have the time, go through all the coaching changes, like offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, just take time, go through, read about these coaches. I mean, I know this year there's three, four, five head coaching changes. You know, I mean, I won't go into detail on them all, but, you know, Ron Rivera's in Washington, Joe Judge is in New York, 
Mike McCarthy went to Dallas. Kevin Stefanski's in Cleveland, and Matt Rule's in Carolina. Ja Rule, that's some huge changes. You know, that's yeah. yeah it's <laughs> going to be a lot of different um, play styles coming out of teams, and it's really just a good idea to look into these people's coaching histories, into their profiles, see what kind of ideas they're saying they have for the team, what kind of players they're hyped on. Of course, all of their hype on certain players can be taken with a grain of salt for the most part, but just you can get a lot of an idea about what kind of culture is going to come into this team. Um, you can see what kind of plays they like to run. So maybe if there's like a second year, you know, wide receiver that you're eyeing up on a team and the new head coach doesn't like to run routes with their, say they play in the slot, say they don't utilize the slot a ton. Maybe you fade that player a little bit and look elsewhere. Um, it's just things like that. And it really can put you way ahead of the curve of other players and other uh, fantasy managers in your league. Yeah, I mean, head coaches and that go and offensive coordinators, the shift from season to season, that's honestly almost bigger than players shifting from team to team, I think, in a lot of cases. I mean, going back years upon years, I mean, this has been one of my biggest strategies. And, Tom, I think you hit it right on the nail here, man. I mean, Matt Nagy, the year he goes there, I mean, every – I mean, I was one of those guys who really wanted to be on on the Bears, and I think it was 2018. You know, just seeing the different types of things there. Uh, Kevin Stefanski, those RBs, you got to give them a bump. You know, there's different things that go on with that. And I think sometimes just within all the craziness that happens in the offseason, that that it really gets lost. So I would absolutely agree looking into those head coaches and even those offensive coordinators a little bit too. I'm, I'm excited to see what Joe Brady up there in Carolina can dial up with uh with jaw roll there. Yeah, dude, it's gonna be uh <laughs> Carolina's really gonna either go really, really well or really, really poorly. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. But yeah, thank you for that advice, guys. Always keep those head coaches in mind and uh what do you say? What do you say we uh round out the show with a little bit of good news for our listeners? That sounds great to me. Tom, what do you have for us today? Today, I have a scientist who made a discovery that might help fix uh, really rare and difficult brain diseases. Well, Alzheimer's and ALS are probably two of the most um, prominent ones that this therapy is hoping to help. Uh, Basically, what the scientist did was he figured out a way to basically rebuild like he he found a way to dig through somebody's dna in a really uh complete way i you know don't want to fully go into all the science of it right now but (laughs) basically what happens is um they figured out that as some cells start to like harden and and slow down i guess for lack of a better term there's like little mutations that happen to start to slow your cells down when it stops properly functioning um, it can start to build up toxic substances and toxic proteins which are often associated with ALS Alzheimer's and other brain diseases like that so basically his therapy helps to reinvigorate those cells stop them from getting that build up in the first place or fix some of what's there anywhere anyway um he actually, uh, the guy who did this, the scientist, he's obviously won some awards for this, but this really could be a, a big breakthrough in how we deal with Alzheimer's and ALS. And I know there's biotech companies now that are trying to put a more practical application in and figure out, you know, therapies for people to start alleviating problems and doing some either slow down or reversing of damage that's been done. And I just think that's some really, really exciting news. Yeah, certainly. I've always been on the fence of, you know, let's support, let's rally around these scientists. I think too many times their work goes unnoticed today just because we have so many other, you know, sources of technology. I mean, just, I was even talking about it over the weekend, you know, looking back within the last hundred years, like, 
I can't name a scientist from today. Like the only scientist that you know really comes to my mind is like Albert Einstein. And how long ago was that? So I, I definitely agree with you, Tom. I think these strides we're making, you know, and especially in in that when such awful diseases can you know come about if we're not preparing like that gentleman was. So yeah, hats off to them and hats off to the entire scientist community as we continue to kind of move forward in this new reality that is today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so what uh, what good news you got for us this week? Yeah, so I'm going to talk a little bit about Maya Moore. Uh, everyone knows WNBA star Maya Moore from her time back on UConn uh, for the Minnesota Lynx as well, won a couple titles, MVPs with them. I mean, UConn growing up, I mean, they were on that illustrious run of you know not losing a game in like, what, three and a half, four years, something like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it was crazy. But uh, yeah, so Maya Moore, she's actually been out of the WNBA since 2019. And she's done it for a reason that it was very, very awesome. Uh, she actually helped uh, reverse the rolling on a man named Jonathan Irons. Uh, he walked free on July 1st from a Missouri Jefferson's City Correctional Center. Uh, he was basically long ago i think it was 20 plus years ago was convicted of burglary and assault with a weapon uh maya moore worked with his legal representation her team and they eventually were able to reverse that conviction and i mean hats off because i think so many times today we see athletes as as just athletes and maya moore is just one example of an athlete going above and beyond um, and, and I can't really say enough about everything she's done to help Mr. Irons, help his family, and just help make the world a better place. And I think if you're so passionate about something like Maya Moore doing this, uh, like Ashton Kutcher stepping away from acting for a couple years to fight sex trafficking, stuff like that I think is a really good feel-good story because, you know, like you said, Tom, even like you have these different interests in life and you have to kind of work within that range and, you know, just for her to really put off basketball for a couple years and she's saying she might not even go back this year to keep help do this stuff i mean it's incredible yeah dude that's that's really uplifting like i i always love to see athletes or people with any kind of a profile take the time to put in some genuine you know effort into doing good with their with their status and that's really amazing that she was able to help somebody get out of a a wrongful conviction and get back to living their life. Cause I mean, I, I honestly couldn't imagine what it would be like to spend any amount of time in jail for a crime that you know, you didn't commit. Wow. It's, it's unthinkable, honestly. It absolutely is. And yeah, it's, it's truly amazing. That's, you know, really great. I'm so happy that Maya Moore is out there doing this kind of work and I hope she keeps doing this for as long as she can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, she's more than an athlete i think there's so many people who are more than what they're saw as so maya moore keep doing what you're doing we're gonna keep doing what we do best here bringing you fantasy football bringing you life advice on the in between fantasy football podcast on inbetweenmedia.com tom it's been a blast as always my friend absolutely you know this is one of my favorite days of the whole week so this is always fun always a blast to get to sit down and chat about life and some good fantasy football advice. Certainly, brother. Certainly. I will send you out, and I will uh, wish you well in the rest of your busy week. And I just want to make one more quick shout-out to our listeners. Make sure you check out Fantasy Cares. That is the charity that Scott Fish runs, and it helps provide Christmas presents for underprivileged kids on Christmas. So he's done a great job. There's been a lot of money raised, but we can still raise a lot more. So Head over to fancycares.net and check it out. Donate if you can. Share the link with your friends, with your family, those who are able to donate. And let's continue to make the fantasy football community and the world a better place. We will see you soon. And uh, take care, everybody. Keep it in between. 